Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Praise God, praise God. Please take a seat, have, have a seat. So my name is Sanjeev and um, you know what Callum was saying, this house is a full house, you know, it's, it's always busy, it's full of joy and last Monday we had a prayer night. There was about 60 people here that night, you know, and we prayed, uh, yeah, we, we prayed for the church needs, we prayed for individual needs, we even prayed for our children, the next generation, you know, so it was a good night, I encourage you all to, to come next to, uh, to our next prayer night. I uh, thought I'd just let you know what's, what's happening in the house. So a special welcome to all of you here this morning and also online and all around the world. Welcome. We're starting a new series and it's called The Heart of the Father. And coming up in the next few weeks will be Ian Rumsley and also Miles preaching uh, around this series as well. So what is the heart of the Father? Your Father's heart, there's a slide up there behind me, your Father's heart is passionate for your full identity as his child based purely on relationship and not performance. We don't, we don't have to, uh, you know, work hard to, to get his value, okay? So today we're going to talk about our identity in Christ. But firstly, let's have a look at some misunderstandings that influence our identity, okay? So what are three things that can influence our identity, who we are, what we do, and what people say about us, right? It can be good things and bad things. So what it boils down to, it's like a performance mentality that we're going we're to carry some worth, you know, to, to get value, and, um, and what people say about us, what we do, etc. You know what, this has actually affected me personally, and I know it's probably affected some of you personally as well. So just to give you a bit of background, I was born in Fiji. Who's been to Fiji? Hey, Bula. Hey, my brothers here and sisters here. Bula, Bula. Okay, so, so, but my ethnicity is Indian and we were brought, so I'm four generation, five generation Indian. We were brought from India at the time of what they called, historians called blackbirding or indentured labour system. So basically forced labour to cut sugarcane. They had left their motherland, they came to Fiji, a new place, started a new life, and, and the historians call it a diaspora, meaning that they were scattered people. They were cut off from home base. They have cut off from kinship, cut off from family lines, and they started a new life. And so what happened in the passport for an Indian, it would read on your passport, Indo-Fijian. You would actually be classed institutionally by your race, by your ethnicity. I don't know what they call the Chinese in Fiji, because there was Chinese there, and there was native people, there was Americans, there was New Zealanders, there was, there was also other island uh, Polynesians uh, within Fiji as well. But at that time, they would class you within an ethnicity. And I wanted to play rugby, man, but all the Indian kids had to play soccer, you know? <laughs> and I wanted to be a flying Fijian, you see it on the TV and stuff, and I could never get there until I got to Sydney. So we migrated to Sydney. And we come here and we lived in Parramatta and went to school and the teacher within a couple of weeks come, came to our house and said uh, to our parents, you've got to stop talking your mother tongue at home. So literally we had to start talking English at home. Now that would never happen right now in 2022, would it? Because they encourage a second language. And so we had to let go. It's really funny because when we talk in our mother tongue, we talk with a lot of respect to our parents. 
And all of a sudden it's like, uh, d d Dad? Uh, you know, like it was really awkward, you know, like really awkward. And, and so we, we, we went through that. And then we couldn't take certain foods to school. So mum had to make white bread, margarine, tomato sauce, and Devon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love that stuff, man. Like, you know, so, so things were changing and, and, and our identity was, you know, kind of kind of being tested. And uh, one day a neighbor come up to me and said, San this is in the 1979, by the way, okay? Is it Sanjeev? If there was a Tri-Nations cricket match between Australia, Fiji and India, who would you go for? And I said, the West Indies. <laughs> because the West Indies, everyone loved the West Indies. They were cool. They had the collar up. They wore sunglasses. They wore cool, you know. We love the West Indies, you know. But, and, and, then, and then I had a group of mates who were into heavy metal, you know. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I've got to, got to get into heavy metal now because, you know, I'm over here and, and all this. And so I grew my hair long and, and had a flannelette shirt, rolled up the sleeves, King G pants, desert boots. Who remembers desert boots? Yeah. You know, and I was rocking on, you know, whatever. Until one day I saw Michael Jackson do the moonwalk and I said, goodbye, heavy metal. See, we, we gravit our identity gravitates to what we like, what we see and what's around us. And at that time, you know, I was going back to Fiji. And so I had an Aussie twang to my, to my language. I could still speak. I can still speak it now. I had an Aussie twang. And so that would ridicule me back in Fiji. And they would laugh at me. Hey, speak. Come on, speak. And the whole village would laugh at me. You know, like it was a spectacle. And then the people from India saw us as another mold of people because they saw us as a different class. So they would look down on us as well. So we're stuck in this diaspora, as the historians called it. Anyway, and another layer, me personally, was being the eldest in my family, I had to take on all this responsibility, you know. And so when it comes with responsibility, it's about keeping the peace in the family. And our family was very, was very functionally dysfunctional. Like, that means very, very dysfunctional. And I had to take a brunt of, of all of that and, and keep the peace, etc. So there's all these expectations that were, that were put in me. But however, later on in life, when I come to know God and his purpose in my life, the gifts and talented that he's birthed into me, it didn't matter what my passport said. It didn't matter what whatever country said or whatever it was. It mattered who I was in Christ, you know. It wasn't my performance or anything like that at all. And when, as I look back, I can see God's fingerprints and his footsteps and I can trace his hand through my whole past life. And sometimes you cannot trace that, but just trust in his heart. Just trust in his heart. So, you know, when our identity is out of our pride, it can be limited. It can be limited. But when our identity is in God, it is unlimited because we move we don't live in deficit when it's limited we live in grace which is which is a surplus we move in grace last week i was at our local high school i went to a local high school and you know when you walk into high schools you see the hall of fame and you wish oh my name was there or you walk in a bowling club they got all the previous presidents the player of the year and all that sort of stuff so i walked in i was just looking at the hall of fame and I see this young girl and go, hey, I know that young girl. This young girl was in our life group and was in me and Jocelyn's youth group. And, and I remember back in her primary school, we used to pray for her. So she was on the autism spectrum. 
and, and, and the parents would pray. They'd say, Sanjeev, Jocelyn, come, come pray with us, you know. We just want to pray for a better future for our, for our child. And we prayed. E7, she got declared medically off the spectrum. And she went on to that high school and she made an academic achievement and she's in that hall of fame in that high school. She, by the way, she's got a twin brother who also came off the spectrum as well, you know. So it just shows prayer, identity, you know, it's, it's, it's living life in surplus. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus came to give us life, what? Abundantly, abundantly. That's surplus. There's more than what we can do with it, right? Yeah. So let's look at three things, as I mentioned before, three things that can get in the way of living life abundantly. Okay. Number one, what we have, our possessions, our house, car, maybe job status, maybe position within family circles. These things are not bad. But when we make it the centerpiece or an idol of, of our identity, it can affect us. You know, I, I know people that have uh, purses, branded purses and branded shoes, you know, and they can't even pronounce the names of the brands. Yeah, it's quite funny. When I was young, going back to my young days, um, so shoes are always a big thing, aren't they? Even today, in 2022, like the late, latest Nike Air Jordans or whatever. But in, in the early 80s, the first Nike high tops came out, right? Now, the problem was, in year seven, they didn't have my size. So we went to Flemington Markets, Paddy's Markets, and we got oversized Nike, only so that we could just wear Nike high tops. So there was me and all my mates walking around, looking like Ronald McDonald, you know? Yeah, yeah, the first Macca's crew. That's it. That was it. Yeah, we were proud of it. I used to fill the front up with newspapers so they didn't flop around too much, you know? But we did that because it was identity. It was, we, we were trying to, to build our identity and we want to be part of, of the mainstream. How about what people think of us? In, in Luke 6, 26, it talks about there's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others. Saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. You know, it's nice, it's nice to be flattered, you know, but, but sometimes needless expectations can be placed on you, you know. And then we begin to work out of our own strength to uphold the admiration of others. Isn't that true, you know? But then that's a good thing, sometimes flattery. But, but on the flip side, what about when people come against you with false accusations or spread rumors? Or what's this thing called gaslighting? Now, I'm starting to figure out gaslighting. I, I don't know what that quite is, but the young people tell me that uh, it's when you expose someone publicly. And what about unfounded opinions or cancel culture behavior? And we're not strong enough to resist or even inquire of the truth, even inquire of the truth. This can also begin to shape our identity. Number three, what we do. Sometimes our identity rests in decisions that we make or big statements that we make. Without seeking God first, we jump into it, make a big statement, we'll make a decision and we don't seek God first. We make big decisions or statements and later discover <laughs> that that the circumstances have changed or the environment has changed or the people that we made the statements on have moved on and our decisions maybe could have been based on untruth in the first place because we didn't seek God, you know? So we do these things. So we seek God first in what we do. Whatever we do, we seek God first. We may stumble. 
but we rise up in the truth and righteousness of Christ, you know. So we're going to have a look at the Old Testament and we're going to see the heart of the Father, how the heart of the Father reaffirms identity. So time and time again in the Old Testament, we, we sang that song today, he comes running after me, comes running after me. In the Old Testament, he comes running after his people. He comes running after his people. He comes down from heaven running after his people. Hagar. So Hagar, as told in the book of Genesis, was an Egyptian slave. Slave girl to Abraham, whom she had a son called Ishmael. So Abraham had a wife, had a son called Isaac. Abraham had a slave girl, had a son called Ishmael. One man, two women, two kids, right? So Sarah gets jealous and said to Abraham, now, I was reading this verse and, and I thought, oh man, there's a real tone on this. She says, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So she was pretty angry. She was pretty fired up. Get rid of that other woman, Hagar, all right? Because I don't want her to take my, my inheritance and my son's inheritance. So Hagar was banished to the desert with her son, her young son who was now dying. She was in a world of hurt, crying with a son about to die. But then listen to this. The Bible goes on to say, but then the messenger angel of God, the messenger angel of God. So in Hebrew, some commentaries say this is known as a Malak Yahweh, the Malak Yahweh. So Yahweh we know means God. Malak means angel, so angel of God, Malak Yahweh. So it wasn't, no, it wasn't an ordinary angel. It was an angel that, that the commentaries say spoke as God, spoke as God. Anyway, the Malachi Yahweh comes into the desert and appears to Hagar and says, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. Lift up the boy who is dying. Take him by the hand, for I will make him a great nation. Okay? So he brings his word. So you see, God came down to Hagar, came down to Hagar in the desert to a place where she was hurting, where a place where she was betrayed, suffering, loss of hope, and lifted Hagar into an identity to birth a nation from a dying son. And the Bible goes on to say that the boy became an archer and symbol, a, a symbol of power and strength, you know. So God came down to Hagar. That's, that's, how about you fellas? How about Moses? Haven't left your boys out. God can come to you as well. The burning bush is an important moment in the Old Testament because it acts as a sign to Moses that God has chosen him to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. So he's called Moses to be a leader. He says, step up, Moses. You've got a job to do, man. However, it's also significant because God reveals himself, sets Moses to rise up into his identity and lead his people out of bondage, you know. Another guy called Balaam, he was a soothsayer or, or a teller of, of the future in the Bible. And just like Moses, he manages to follow the Lord's guidance despite his own personal failings at times. And like Moses, he plays a significant role in fulfilling his identity in God's plan to bring Israel to the promised land. Haven't forgot you boys, haven't forgot you young boys, the three lads, 
Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. <laughs> in fact, these lads held on to their identity. They were strong in their faith. They were committed when they were faced with a painful death. So what happened? These lads refused to bow down to a king. So the king puts, in them, puts them into a fiery furnace. In that fiery furnace, the Malek Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, went down into the furnace, drove out the fiery flames and made the inside of a furnace. And the Bible says, as if though it was a dew-laden breeze was blowing through it, like a cool breeze. I mean, imagine that, being in a fire, just walk out, yeah, it's nothing, you know, like, it's cool. You have may have been in a fiery situation. Life could be like that. You're hopping from one fire into another fire. Life's hot. It's suffocating. It's overwhelming. But when God is in it with you, when he meets you in that place, you will come out as if though it was just a cool summer breeze, not even smelling as smoke. Let's look at the life of Gideon. So Gideon was one of the judges in Scripture. So what's a judge? A judge was called to rescue their people and establish justice. However, Gideon was timid and he doubted his identity. He doubted his identity. And Gideon, later on in the book of Hebrews, he's listed in the Hall of Fame. So the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is, is also commonly known as, a, as the Hall of Fame, uh, the Bible Hall of Fame or, or the Faith Hall of Fame. So Gideon gets listed in, in this book later. But Gideon is timid and doubted his identity. So here's the situation. Gideon is scared and he's hiding away from the enemy, the Midianites. He's so scared that he's separating the chaff from the wheat in a wine press. Now, let me explain this a bit. So, so you've got a bunch of wheat and, and the chaff is the non-nutrient part which you need to separate from the wheat so you can eat the wheat. Now, normally it's done on the top of a hill so the wind can take the chaff away. But he's down in a wine press, in a hidden place, in a dark place, rather than on a hill. Because if he's on a hill, the Midianites would pick up his GPS location and come after him and the Israelites. So Gideon is in fear. He's insecure. And he's scared of being attacked. This is his situation right now. And the Bible says the Malak Yahweh comes to him, sits under an oak tree. So he comes to him and just sits there. The angel of the Lord comes and just sits there. Then the Malak Yahweh appears. He then reveals himself to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. So don't be scared. Don't be timid. You are a valiant, mighty, courageous warrior. God sometimes is there, immersed in your situation. You may not know it, but he is already there watching your pain, your agony, every tear that you are collecting in the palms of your hand. God is collecting in heaven. He is there intimately with you. Then Gideon begins to doubt the messenger angel. There's this banter going back and forth in the scriptures. He says, oh, you know what? Where's the miracles of the past, you know? Why did we leave Egypt? The Lord has abandoned us and the Midianites are right here about to conquer us. He says, I am the weakest in my family and the least important in my family. He limits his identity. He limits his identity. And then the Malak Yahweh goes on to say, go with your strength and save Israel from the Midianites. I am the one who is sending you. And the banter continues. He's still, he's challenging God, like he's doubting God. And then finally, 
the Malak Yahweh, the messenger of angel of God says, calm down. Don't be afraid. You will not die. It's a bit like, get on with it, Gideon. You know, get on with it. Chill out. Don't be afraid. You will not die. The Malak Yahweh reminded him of who he was. He was a courageous, mighty, valiant warrior. And he just had to rise up into that identity. And then what happened was that, um, you know, he, he went on and he defeated the Midianites and then took his people to the promised land. So men and women, sometimes just like Gideon, you know, your generation, your family needs you. Your family needs you as mum and dad, as individuals to rise up into your identity in Christ. You know, there, there are generations that you have not seen that, you, that need you to rise up right now into your identity. Then Gideon, yeah, as I said, goes on to, to defeat uh, the Midianites. In Fiji, there are temples. And people from all around the world come to these Hindu temples, you know. They'll catch a plane, 8 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours, get off, get a bus, get a rental car, drive there, offer a sacrifice, and then get a prayer or a blessing. Whew, what, what, what an effort, you know. <laughs> Our God comes to us where we are he comes to us we don't go we don't go have to go on a mountaintop or anything like that he comes to us under an oak tree he can come to you in your workplace he can come to you in your in your time of need you know he comes to you in our hardest places and lowest places to remind us of who we are who and what our identity is so that's the old testament let's fast forward a couple of hundred years to the new testament so God now puts on flesh and he comes to earth in Jesus, his son, right? So God is in the hood. He's in the hood. Looking at all those oversized Nikes, like what's going on, you know? It's all good in the hood. Well, maybe not. Jesus' identity gets tested here on earth. So Jesus, gets, um, Jesus was baptized. And so when he got baptized, he got affirmed, he got validated, you know, and, and he journeys, first thing he does, he journeys into the wilderness for 40 days and fasts for 40 days, right? But while he's in the wilderness, he gets tempted by Satan. And there are three temptations we're going to run through right now. Let's see what happens in these temptations. Temptation number one, turning stones into bread. So Satan comes up to him, says, you must be hungry. Well, turn that stone into bread. Turn the stone into bread? Jesus would be like, what are you talking about, Willis? For those of you that have watched Different Strokes. I mean, Jesus would have said, what are you on about? I am the key cornerstone. I am the rock of ages and my father marvels at me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the rock. He is the bread. What, why, why do you want me to, you know? This can represent a temptation of quickness and instant gratification in our identity. I must have, you know? I must have that truth. I must have that fad. Oh, I feel this way, so my feeling's important over my identity. A little bit of truth here, a little bit of fad here, a little bit of feeling here. Feeling their truth there, fed there, fed here, everywhere, everywhere, anywhere. And if I don't like it today, I'll go tomorrow. Oh, it's a new feeling, new fed here, new truth there. But the truth is, 
from yesterday, today, and will always be that. Our Father is in heaven. He gave His Son. His Son ascended and left us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the truth, my friends. So, number two, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if Jesus would just bow down to Satan. All the kingdoms of the world, if Jesus would just bow down to Satan, the allure of power, control, authority, maybe through a job, maybe through a position or a social or family circle, is always tempting. But as believers, our true heart, our true identity is one of a life of service, humility, love, and compassion in this broken world. It would, all these things you know, are forever. Jesus kept his identity in the things that matter to God, not of the world. Because he knew the world was broken. Who wants to go be a king of a broken, broken stuff? You know, you know what I mean? Oh, you want to be a king of broken stuff? Nah, it's okay. Number three. So here's a big one. So, so Jesus is on a mountaintop, right? And the, Satan says to him, throw yourself from the mountaintop and God will send his angels to rescue you. I mean, what a spectacle that would have been, right? Like how dramatic, like Jesus, you know, literally kamikazing off the mountaintop, no bungee rope, right? <laughs> you know, and, and angels swooping down from heaven to, to, to catch him. I, I just, I can't understand what that was all about other than what sort of spectacle Satan wanted to see. But Satan was testing God. Go on then. You think you're so good, then prove it. Your identity can be challenged or pushed to perform to do something against God's will. God cannot be tested, you know. If Jesus revealed his identity, it would not have been in God's plan, as the time in the hour has not come for the Son of Man to be glorified. There was a lot more to be done, all right? So a lot more work needed to be done before the identity of Jesus could be revealed. So friends, guard your heart. You'll be tempted. Do not be stifled by temptation as your identity is birthed to do more than what you may think. So identity can find easy shortcuts, earthly power and control, or seek the allure of spectacle and events. Jesus calls for living your identity out of the word of God, your identity in allegiance to him and trusting in his heart. If I could ask the musicians to to come up and the singers to come up. And our identity is constantly, constantly challenged and tested in the wilderness. Not, not, not of desert or, or, or sand, but our wilderness can be the internet. It can be social media. It can be political ideology, cancel culture, mispurposed practices to people groups, you know, people that don't understand the, the relationship with God, you know. And as a result, we have whole populations of people, you know, who are more concerned with their own gain, their feelings, misinformed opinions, controlling others because they are the only ones that exist on the earth. <laughs> Individualism, and the list goes on and on, you know. Your identity can always be challenged. How about the uh, Finnish Prime Minister, the Prime Minister of Finland? One of the youngest Prime Ministers uh, just yesterday, her identity as Prime Minister got challenged because she busted a dance move on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know if you heard the news. Looks like no one watches TV in Finland. 
Okay, it's all good. Google it when you get home. But identity is constantly challenged, you know. Identity is constantly challenged. But our core identity lies in a relationship with God through the presence of Jesus Christ and the connective power of the Holy Spirit. So see, friends, God keeps coming after us. We've seen in the Old Testament, He comes running after Hagar, comes running after the three lads. He comes running after Moses. He comes running after Gideon. Just to say, rise up into your identity. Rise up into your identity. Because the generations you have not seen are relying on you. Are relying on you. Your children are lying, relying on you. So as we conclude, I just want to leave you with a reminder. And I hope what I'm about to read now sinks deep, sinks deep into your heart about your identity in Christ. I wish when I was young and the journey that I went on that, that somebody had told me these words that I'm about to, about to read out now about my identity, you know. But thank God, you know, I, I know who I am in Christ. So this is what God says about our identity. Now I'm just going to just read this out, take it in your heart. One of these might stick out more than the other, but here we go. You are a child of God. You are chosen by God to be a child of light. You have peace with God. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You are united to the Lord, one spirit with Him. You have access to God's wisdom. Amen. You are reconciled to God. You are not condemned by God. When somebody brings up your past and tries to make you feel bad, God doesn't do that. The devil brings up your past because the devil does not know the future. You are not condemned. You have been justified. You have Christ's righteousness in you. You are Christ's ambassador. You are completely forgiven and tenderly loved. You are a sweet fragrance of Christ in God. You are a temple in which God dwells. You are the foundation on which God will build His house for the next generation. You are the member of the body of Christ. That's us, folks. That's Elevation Hills. You are not orphans, but you are a holy nation. You are blameless and beyond reproach. You are the solar of the earth and the light of the world. You are chosen by Christ to bear fruit. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You share in the inheritance with Him. You are a saint. You are holy and share in God's heavenly calling. You are sanctified. You are are people for God's own possession, created to sing the praises of God. You are firmly rooted and built up in Christ. You are born of God and no weapon from the enemy will prosper against you. That's someone. That's for somebody here today. You have the mind of Christ. You come to God with boldness, freedom and confidence. You have been rescued from the grasp of Satan and placed in the kingdom of God. You have been made complete in Christ. All your needs are met by God. You are royalty in God's kingdom. You have been brought with a price and you belong to God. You belong to God. 
You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. And you can be assured because you love God, He will cause everything in your life to work together for good according to His purpose. You are free. You are free. As for somebody here today, if you're, if you're addicted to something, if there are accusations about you, you are free from that. If you've been unfairly treated, you are free. You are free from what people say about you. You are free. You declare that right now. You are free. You are free in Christ. And nothing, nothing, I do mean nothing, can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. You have been set apart, anointed and sealed by God. No matter what, no matter what, you can be confident. The good work God has started in you, He will faithfully bring all the way to completion. Amen. God has started a good thing in you and He will complete it. You are a personal witness of Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's workmanship in His image. You have not, you have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Come on. He is for you. He's not against you. Big Daddy got your back. Big Daddy got your back. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you in Jesus' name. Come on, friends. If you have been living in misalignment with your identity and what God says about you, you might be like Gideon, a bit timid, a bit shy. But also like Gideon, you can be rising up to be the courageous, mighty, valiant warrior and stepping in to your identity, stepping into the place that God wants you to, you to be. So friends, let's take a hold of your true identity in Christ and just run forward. Just as those examples we've seen in the Old Testament, they, they ran forward in the new identity. Your family needs you generations you have not even seen need you like the young girl at the local high school who broke the spectrum and raised up against all odds and became a hall of famer you too in your identity in the next generation should be a hall of famer you should be a hall of famer legacy should be left by you in your identity we are reminded in psalms 135 and i'll just paraphrase this god I am who you say I am. So let's just trust his heart, friends.